Welcome to Nationwide Market Insights for February 25th, 2022. Rising inflation and growth concerns, and perhaps the dreaded term stagflation due to the lingering pandemic and the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine, have impacted equity markets and consumer confidence and sentiment. Nationwide's Chief Economist David Burson and Deputy Chief Economist Brian Jordan focus on the recent volatility in the financial markets. They'll also provide their outlook on the overall economy for the months ahead, including their perspectives on how the Fed may adjust their plans for policy tightening this year. And now, here's David Burson. Hey, Brian, we're going to have uh, several topics today, but I want to start out discussing what's going on in the stock market. Now, there are, of course, individual stocks, there are broad equity market indices. And when we talk about the stock market, most of the time, it's when you and I talk about it and, and other financial analysts, we usually talk about the S&P 500 as a pretty good proxy for large company stocks in the U.S. So I think when we talk today about the stock market, that's really what we're going to be referring to. You know, when we started off the year, pretty good, an all-time high for the S&P 500, uh, almost 4,800 to, to close. But we're down, closed yesterday, under 4,300. Is this the sort of normal declines that we see? Is this something unusual going on? And, and maybe you can put it in some historical context for us. Sure, absolutely normal, absolutely expected. In fact, I would argue that this pullback in equity prices was long overdue, or at least overdue, relative to the historical trend. Typically, the S&P 500 falls into a correction, a decline between 10 and 20 percent within roughly one year of the outset of a bull market, a new bull market. Well, this bull market began back in March of 2020. Here we are almost two years into the bull market, and we finally got our first correction here in early 2022. So it was one of the longest runs we've had at the outset of a, of a bull market before having a correction, a 10% pullback in the index. So I would say it's entirely normal and to be expected. What do corrections imply for the state of the economy? You know, if we've got 10, 12, 15% drop in the stock market, does that mean that the economy is going downhill too? Uh, no, it's a good, it's a great question because uh, oftentimes corrections happen for non-economic reasons, or they happen for um, uh, uh, they're driven by drivers outside of the U.S. economy. So, for example, we had five corrections in the last bull market, which lasted from 2009 to 2020. The first couple of those corrections in 2010 and 2011 were driven to a large degree by the European debt crisis. And the last couple of corrections in that cycle were driven at least to some degree by the slowdown in China and fears of a deeper slowdown in China. So oftentimes it's an outside factor driving corrections. More often than not, we have an endogenous and economically driven factor driving bear markets, bigger declines, more lasting declines in stocks. But it's often more transitory, to use a word that's been retired now by the Federal Reserve, a more transitory impact that drives corrections. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that we're supposed to use the word transitory anymore. <laughs> well, you mentioned corrections as a 10 to 20% drop in broad equity markets. 
what happens if you get declines that are bigger than 20 percent? So we have had it, it's a great question because there have been declines in excess of 20 percent that have happened outside of outright recessions in the U.S. economy. We had a couple in the 1960s and 1966 and 1968 during the long 1960s expansion. We had one very famously in 1987. The stock market crash in 1987 happened outside of a recession. There was no recession that year, and in fact, no recession for three more years in the U.S. economy. But what typically happens in those cases, when we have deeper declines within economic expansions, and I think we can safely say in this case, or fairly safely say in this case, that we're not heading for a recession here in 2022, when we've had those declines, they've been much more muted and much more short-lived. So the 1987 case, for example, that bear market lasted for just four months from, from August of 1987 to December of 1987, a very short-lived bear market. The bear markets in the 1960s were also short-lived and very, very mild declines, just barely over 20%. So it certainly is possible that even if the economic backdrop isn't conducive to a sustained deeper pullback in the stock market, you could get a fleeting drop of more than 20% and a fairly quick recovery after that. You know, I, I would note we're talking about bear markets that declined more than 20%. We're not there. We're not close. Now, we're not going to forecast the stock market, but, but there have been other big declines. There was a, another sharp decline in the middle of the longest expansion in U.S. history, which was the one from 2009 to, to 2020, right in the middle of that in, in 2016, we had another big pullback. The stock market not associated with a recession. Um, we had an, another one in 1984 after arguably, at least before the the um, the COVID recession, the, big, the, the worst downturn since the Great Depression, another big drop of stock market. And that was early on in the expansion. So these things can occur without economic downturns. Although I will say that most of the time you get the really big drops in the stock market, they are associated with uh, economic downturns, but not always. So it is, uh, and, and, and sometimes you get economic downturns with declines in the stock market, but not huge declines in the stock market. So it, it may be a necessary condition, but it's certainly not a sufficient condition for a, a recession to occur. Well, we know that we've We've had some unusual movements in equity markets over the last couple of days in response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. You know, yesterday, markets were down hundreds of points until later in the day when there was just a remarkable reversal. And today, as we're discussing this on, on Friday, uh, the 25th of February, another pretty strong move upward in the stock market. What do you think stocks are saying about the outlook given the, the movements over the last couple of days? It's, it's very interesting, David, because we did see big declines early this week and they're now giving way to fairly healthy increases later in the week now that the, the invasion has actu actually happened. And so oftentimes in the stock market, we get this trend where um, investors sell the rumor and they buy the fact that um, the anticipation of an event, and it appeared that we might have a conflict in Ukraine for, for some time, the anticipation of the event 
helps to push stock prices down. And then when that event actually happens, much of the selling has already taken place and perhaps some of the worst fears are not realized. In, in this case, uh, perhaps um, the, the, the resistance within Ukraine, the fact that the energy complex has largely been spared of sanctions to, to, to this point has fueled a little bit of a, of, of a relief rally. And perhaps as well, the, the notion that the uncertainty that's been fostered by the Russian invasion might give the Federal Reserve some pause as it launches its tightening cycle, again, presumably next month. Um, investors had been expecting a very aggressive Fed tightening path in 2022. Those expectations have been dialed back a bit since the Russian invasions. And so perhaps a, a more shallow, somewhat more shallow rate path is helping stocks here. But from an economic perspective, David, what should we expect for the U.S. economy now, uh, now that Russia has invaded two big commodity producers? We've seen some whipsawing in, in commodity prices this week. We just saw another hot inflation report this morning. What should we expect now that Russia actually has invaded, both for inflation and for, for GDP growth? You know, in, in purely economic terms, the invasion of Ukraine by Russia acts as a negative supply shock, not only for the U.S. economy, but, but for the world economy. It pushes prices upward for energy, but also lots of other commodities and slows economic growth. The interesting thing will be, and you, you broached this a little bit, how do central banks respond to this? So we know we have a Federal Reserve meeting uh, in a couple of weeks where they're going to lay out their new forecasts for economic growth, inflation, and, and what they expect to do going forward, as well as presumably start the tightening cycle. How does the Fed respond to this? Does the Fed respond to the potential for slower growth by not tightening as much as markets had expected? Do they respond to potentially higher inflation with higher costs for commodities, particularly oil? Do they respond to that by tightening more, you know, at this point we don't know. Well, we'll we'll get a better indication in a few weeks when when the Fed meets. But it does put the Fed in a very difficult spot because the Fed doesn't have the policy tools to fight a two-front war. It can't simultaneously fight a slowdown in economic growth and a rise in inflation. It's going to have to choose one or the other. Now, it appears partially based on economic data that came out today, most of which was very strong, that the U.S. economy was, was growing at a pretty good pace, reaccelerating after the Omicron-induced pause December and early January, reaccelerating in the second half of January uh, and, and probably into February. So, I mean, the good news, I guess, is that if we get some supply-induced slowdown, supply shock-induced slowdown, from the Russian invasion. It's with the economy already picking up speed. So I think that the odds of a, a significant slowdown in the US economy, certainly the odds of a recession, have not gone up appreciably because of this. They may have gone up, but not appreciably. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a great point. The, the, we could argue that you know, the Fed had been forecasting or guiding the markets to expect higher rates this year because of an elevated inflation rate. It looks like we may have an even more elevated 
inflation right now because of this supply shock. But of course, there's the offsetting factor of the supply shock also influencing economic growth as well. Now, one big uh, interesting dynamic that's that's uh, developed over the last several months is the split between consumer sentiment and consumer confidence, consumer confidence holding up fairly well. Consumer sentiment has been sinking. What does the Russian invasion and the pickup in energy prices, uh, or the, the at least the volatility in energy prices, the pickup in commodity prices, the potential slowdown that it might foster in economic growth, what do you think that might mean for consumer sentiment going forward? And how might that play into consumer spending in, in the quarters ahead? Well, consumer sentiment, uh, we got the latest numbers today, has has fallen uh, substantially. You know, before the uh, the COVID recession began in February of 2020, consumer sentiment was a little bit over 100, 101. And um, for February, and now uh, we've got uh, the data for, for the entire month, the survey went until early this week, it was down to 63. Now, that's still a level that is okay. It doesn't necessarily correspond to levels where we have recessions. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. What's interesting though, is some really interesting economic papers that suggest that if, if you look at one of the components of consumer sentiment, the consumer expectations portion, that when it falls dramatically and it's down under 60, given today's number, that that's a leading indicator, a near-term leading indicator of a recession. Now, you know, do, does today's number necessarily indicate recession? No, we've had levels below this, but it's a pretty big drop. And, and it certainly adds some caution to the outlook. You know, if we don't know what will happen with the Russian invasion of Ukraine, we don't know ultimately what will happen to energy prices as a result. But if, if the worst occurs economically and energy prices rise significantly, I think we would see another big down leg in consumer sentiment and particularly in expectations. And that indeed could be a leading indicator of a recession. We're not there yet. Hopefully we won't be, but it's certainly something to keep an eye on. So with, with that in mind, given the big drop in expectations and the slowdown in growth that it might be forecasting, that it might be guiding us toward, maybe we should wrap up with one other long retired word, or at least retired word, uh, much much more long retired than, than transitory, and that is stagflation. I know that's a word that's been on a lot of clients' minds, a lot of investors' minds, a lot of households' minds recently, the pickup in inflation, the potential slowdown in economic growth later in 2022, owing to various factors. What can we say about the prospect for stagflation in the U.S. economy in 2022 and beyond? Well, just to make sure our listeners know what we're talking about, stagflation is a period of slow or, or negative recessionary economic growth. At the same time, you have higher inflation. I mean, normally, uh, you don't get that combination. You get very strong economic growth. Often you get higher inflation get weaker economic growth and particularly recessions, you get declines in inflation. Uh, but, but stagflation first came to the fore in the 1970s when we had the two large oil price shocks, the proximate causes of the 73-75 uh, recession and then the um, 80 and then 81 to 82 recessions. Those were true stagflationary periods. 
Today, you know, growth is still pretty strong. Don't think we can call it stagflation at this point, even though inflation is high. It, it's much closer to what we would normally look at as following the Phillips curve, which is a relationship between unemployment and inflation, low unemployment, higher inflation. We're certainly seeing that now. Is there a chance we could see a stagflationary period, either of much slower growth, perhaps a recession, and higher inflation? We could, indeed, if, if as I mentioned, if oil prices spike from here, we could see that. That is not what we're expecting. We can't rule it out. There's certainly a chance that could occur. But even at this point, I think the odds of that are relatively low. You know, we're we're probably going to see growth slow in, in part because the economy grew so quickly in the last two years once the COVID recession ended. We can't possibly keep up that pace of growth, run out of workers, run out of capacity. So the economy is going to slow anyway. With the Fed tightening monetary policy, either faster or slower, but, but still likely tightening, that will act to slow growth as well. But is it slow growth by enough for the future period to be called stagflationary? Probably not, but there is that risk. So it's something to keep an eye out for. And the key here is really what happens with energy prices, which obviously fluctuate day to day and perhaps significantly from day to day. But look at the trend in energy prices. If we see the price of the, the benchmark crude oil in the U.S. is West Texas Intermediate, WTI. If we were at 100 early yesterday, we're at 90 today. If we saw that go to 110 and be sustained there or even go a little higher, there are analysts looking for 150, for example. I would say if we got to 150, we would certainly have a stagflationary period. But keep an eye out for that. If we see that going up on a sustained basis, I'd be much more worried about stagflation. You know, for, if we stay below 100, it's not healthy for the US economy, but it probably would tip us into a recession and, and probably not even to a stagflation. So with that, I'd like to thank our listeners for uh, tuning in today. And Brian, thank you very much. I think we had a great discussion. Thank you, David. This podcast is for financial professional use only. The information provided by Nationwide Economics is general in nature and not intended as investment or economic advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any security or adopt any investment strategy. Additionally, it does not take into account any specific investment objectives, tax, or financial condition or particular needs of any specific person. The economic and market forecasts reflect our opinion as of the date of this report and are subject to change without notice. These forecasts show a broad range of possible outcomes. Because they are subject to high levels of uncertainty, they will not reflect actual performance. We obtain certain information from sources deemed reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, completeness, or fairness. Nationwide and the Nationwide N and Eagle are service marks of the Nationwide Mutual Insurance Company. Copyright 2022. Nationwide.